Hey, welcome to ACF Church, and we're so glad that you're with us watching this message online. And our hope is that it would encourage you to be more like Jesus and walk closely with Him as an apprentice of Christ. And our hope is to give away all of these resources for free as much as possible. It takes a lot of time and energy and people to make that happen. And if you'd like to support the mission of God financially for ACF Church, you can go to acfak.org and you can give there. Now enjoy the Word of God proclaimed. My name is Stuart. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, and uh, Welcome. Uh, before we get going, uh, we I want to lift up someone in prayer. And uh, up until just a few moments ago, it's, it's a friend of people here at ACF, and she's a young college girl. I was out hiking last night and got uh, separated from her group and ended up spending the night out uh, on her own. And uh, But a few moments ago, we just found out that she was found. And so if you, if you would just join me in prayer, uh, I'd just like to thank God for his protection over this girl. Her name is Anya. Uh, would you join me in prayer for that? Dear Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you so much uh, just for your great protection for Anya, that you were watching out over her and that she is safe uh, and reunited with her family and friends. And Lord, I pray for her that uh, this has got to be emotionally trying for her and super stressful. So Lord, I pray in that process that she would recognize and know uh, that you are uh, the God who created her and you dearly love her. And so I thank you, Lord, that we can, we can celebrate and praise uh, that you have answered the prayers of, of many. Uh, that you would watch out over her. So thank you, Lord. We love you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Um, yeah, so uh, if you're new to ACF, if this is your first time sitting here, welcome. I'm glad you're here. We're glad that you are here. Uh, if you've been coming for a little while and you're not sure if ACF's your family or if you've been coming for a long time and, and this is these are your people, this is your place, I uh, just want to say welcome. This is a place uh, where you can ask questions, you can seek and find answers, and I guarantee you that if you look to your left and right, you are sitting next to someone who's in the same boat as you. We are all on that journey, and we are all a- asking questions and seeking answers. We want to know the truth. We want to know the truth about God and the truth about how, how he wants us to live our lives. And so this is the right place. If you've got questions, if you're not sure, uh, this is a place where you can come and feel safe and you're among others who are doing the same thing. Uh, you know, we've just ended our summer series uh, master class where we've been walking through the book of James. And so we are about truth. So I'm going to prepare yourself. I'm going to drop some truth on you. Since our summer series is now over, summer is also over. Uh, I know, I'm not, you're not supposed to say that, but it's true. If you haven't noticed, the leaves are coming down pretty good. They're starting to change color. Winter is coming. You need to wrap your stuff up and get it done, right? So if you haven't mowed your lawn, maybe today's your, your day. So, uh, but we are about truth, and I'm, I got to share that. So I'm sorry. You can hate me later, uh, but that's what it is. So we are shifting uh, gears a little bit. We know that this, this year, uh, the last uh, several months, um, and who knows for how long, it's kind of been chaotic with with COVID, with just things going on around the globe. We have PCS season, so we have a lot of people coming and going uh, right now, which is a happy, sad time, and a lot of new faces here at ACF, and then just normal Alaskan, just things happening, right? And so as we move into fall and things maybe, I hope, settle down a little bit, uh, we wanted to uh, look at one of our core values as a community of believers and, and really like open up and say, this is who we are. And it's not just something that we think sounds really good on paper or uh, this is really catchy, but 
uh, it's something that we truly believe is, is, is about, describes us as a group of believers, a family, but it's also from Scripture, and it's, the, the value is this, generosity. It's, and we, you hear us say it this way, we lead the way in generosity. And, and we're not just, again, not just saying that, but we see that in Scripture from the, the very first verses of Genesis through creation to the, the end of Revelation where we see a new heaven and a new earth. And all the way in between, we see a God who is being generous, a God who initiates generosity over and over again, really pinpointing and highlighting and, and culminating in the birth and uh, life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ so that we can be reunited and live a new life with the God who created us. We could be reconciled with that God. And so we want to be people that, that are the same. And so for the next three weeks, we're just going to examine different aspects of generosity and who we are as a body of believers. Um, so when I, uh, I, I feel a little bit like, you know, some of that chaos is I, I go on two different hunts in August and September, and I have uh, five girls, and so I've started taking them, uh, one of them each time with me hunting. Um, and so uh, a couple weeks ago, I went on a moose hunt with my second oldest daughter, and she, well, I was so proud of her. She came over, overcame so many fears didn't see any moose. We saw a beautiful uh, bull caribou, but no moose. Uh, if you're not a hunter, I'm sorry, you can tune out for a little bit, maybe check Facebook to distract yourself. But if not, then you're going to hear a couple stories. So, uh, But last month, uh, I took my oldest daughter out who hasn't yet, she's been on a few hunts with me, but not taken a big game animal. So I took her on a caribou hunt. And uh, so we went and uh, it was, I was feeling horrible. I was a, a little sick, a lot sick, but um, we went up anyway, and we get up, and it rained on us the whole time. It was windy. It was foggy. Uh, it was cold. Uh, normal, I wouldn't say normal hunting weather. It's probably the worst weather I've ever experienced hunting, and I've gone out several times here in Alaska. And um, we get to where we were going. We had driven from our home in Chugiak all the way up to Cantwell, driven all the way down the Denali Highway uh, to where we pull off and unload the wheelers, and we had wheeled in 12 miles. And so this was an all-day event. And we arrive at uh, where I have a couple hunting buddies. They have already set up camp the day before. And we arrive, and I am in the worst mood ever because I'm tired, exhausted. I had nothing left mentally or physically to give, um, just not feeling it. Um, a hunting buddy and my daughter set our tent up, which is an awesome tent, but it was the most complex tent I've ever seen on the planet. Um, so I gave up. I was just upset. So they got it set up. I literally threw my stuff in, crawled in, and just was like, I'm not getting up until tomorrow morning. I'm going to bed. Uh, and my daughter's like sitting in the tent looking at me and she's uh, 14 and she was looking and she had that look of, I'm not ready to go to sleep, dad. So I said, well, you can get your rain gear on and go out because it was just dump and rain at the time. And you can get your rifle and go look for animals. Uh, so she, she does, she goes out. I was super proud of her. She's just like absolutely committed. Uh, and I proceeded to be a good dad and fall asleep. And <laughs> I was woken up to someone banging on my tent, and it was uh, one of my hunting buddies going, hey, has your daughter come back? It's been a couple hours. Um, and so with my big concern, I, did, I said, no, I haven't seen her. And he goes, there's this like really awkward pause. He goes, let me go look for her. <laughs> so I hope my wife isn't watching right now. Um, take care of our kids when we're out. Um, so he goes out and finds her three quarters of a mile sitting on a just getting dumped on hill looking for animals. She's just absolutely putting in the hard work. And so then she finally comes back. We go to sleep, wake up the next morning, and it's just been, it's a mix of fog. And if it's not foggy, it's rainy, and the wind's kind of blowing, and it's cold. 
Um, so we're sitting on this hill. We've gone out like three different times. We walked out from camp of, you know, maybe about a quarter mile or something and sat in this little place. It's our secret honey hole. I can't tell you where it is. It's been good to us over the years. If you talk to me enough, I'll probably give you the GPS coordinates because um, that's who I am. But, uh, so we're sitting there. The third time we go out, and about an hour before what happened, uh, I told my daughter, I said, I just don't have it in me. I don't have the energy to go chasing animals on faraway hills. And we were seeing tons of animals, so it was, a, it was just a great sign, right? We're excited. Um, and I said, wouldn't it be awesome if God brought an animal really close to us? And, you know, you always say that as a hunter. In your mind, you're kind of thinking, it'd be great if one would appear right there, God. Like, right there. Let me show you. Let me put an X right here. <laughs> and in your mind, you're like, yeah, no way. So then we're sitting there, and I'm so tired. I'm like dozing in and out. My daughter's talking to me. I kind of pick up some of what she's saying, but mostly I'm just like trying not to completely be out. And then I hear, dad, caribou. And so I open my eyes and I look and there's this caribou trotting 70 yards in front of us down the hill. And he stops right in front of us and fully faces us and just looks at us. So I look over at my daughter and she's just like, whoa, that's awesome. You know, she's really enjoying just looking at God's creation. And I'm like, get your rifle up. And so she goes, she's getting her rifle ready. And uh, then I hear, dad, I can't find it in the scope. And then I'm like, in my mind, I'm like, I've heard this before. This is, we're going to miss this shot. Because he, he then at that point turns and starts hopping. And then I hear bang. And that thing just dropped. And it was her first bull caribou. I was so proud of her. Um, she had put in the work and, and done an amazing job and was able to pull it together um, for you hunters, it was a double lung shot. Thing went down instantly. It was perfect. Dad proud. I screamed so loud. It was amazing. Suddenly I had energy. Um, so while we're there, we had to move our camp because last year we had met this older couple who had come in just kind of checking the scene out. They were looking around. They're super nice. And they got into our, our valley this year before my buddies had been able to get in and get to our campsite, like our spot. We own it, right? I wish. But they had put their tent up, and so we had to move where we were. And they're really nice people. Um, and at first, it was one of those things where you're like, under your skin, you're like screaming, but you're like, I'm a pastor, I should be nice. <laughs> but the reality was, where we got pushed to, where we made camp, was way better. So that's our new spot. So it was a God thing that they were there. But they had gone out hunting that morning. And there is a point to this, so hang on. Um, it's just not just me t sharing about my life, um, mostly. So, so they... They had gone up that morning, but it was kind of bad weather, and uh, they, they decided to take a nap, and the weather got really nice while they were taking a nap. And so one of my other hunting partners had gotten his caribou, and the herd that he had shot out of, maybe like seven, eight animals, had run around the valley and literally stopped 20 feet above their tent. And they're inside sleeping, so we are screaming at the top of our lungs, get up, get out, there's caribou right by your tent. And by the time they figured out what was going on, the caribou were long gone. They were like at the top of the hill, not a shot at all. And they missed it. And so I was really struck with this contrast between my daughter, who was diligent, you know, willing to go put in hard work to get a job done. And sometimes you do that as hunters, right? Or in, in life in general, you put in the hard work and it doesn't pay off. But you know you can walk away because you put in the hard work and you did what you knew was right. And then I was kind of... Not saying they were not diligent hunters, but I was thinking in the middle of hunting season, you've got open you got caribou everywhere and literally above your tent. You know, that's like the hunter's dream, right? When you're in a tent at night and you're like, I hope I unzip this in the morning and there's like a herd of caribou right outside and don't even have to get out of my tent. 
That's your dream, and it was their dream, but they weren't diligent enough to be looking and watching and really hunting, and so they had taken a break. And so I saw that contrast, and I, I think we all find ourselves, if we want to admit it, somewhere on this pendulum, and maybe it changes as we go through life, or sometimes day to day, week to week, year to year, where we're okay with the status quo. We're kind of okay. The wheels are shaky in our lives, but they haven't come off, and so we're kind of like, it's okay. You know, I heard from an engineer one time the adage of, if it's working, don't fix it. And it's just that idea that if it's good enough, like it's not worth the effort sometimes to re-engineer it to make it better. And so it's okay, like just kind of relax. Your life's not a complete wreck, so you can just keep moving forward. You're, you're probably doing okay. And then we have the other side, and that's a goal-driven. Like, give me a goal, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run towards it with all of my energy. I'm going to put everything I have into making sure I accomplish that goal, even if it means discomfort and work and and some hardship and sacrifice on my part. And so I think we find ourselves somewhere in that continuum from time to time, or maybe we have different areas that we compartmentalize in our lives, and we're like, this area is okay, this one I need maybe to goal set a little bit more. But I think we all have the same questions, and if you're like me, I have two questions that really keep coming back. And the first one is, what should we be doing? What should we really be doing? Because Sometimes I know I get a goal and I love, like my mind, the way it works is if you give me a goal and say, this is what you should be running towards, I will run towards it. I will figure out a way to make that come into fruition, if at all possible. I appreciate that. That's the way my mind works generally. So if you want me to do something, give me a challenge, set a goal, and I'll run. Somewhere along the line, though, I'm going to start asking, is that the right goal? Because I'll start really good and I'll run really hard. And then I start wondering, like, is this really worth the energy? Is this really making a difference? Is this what I, in life, should be putting all of this effort and resource towards? Or maybe I've missed it, and I'm running towards something that's not really going to make a difference for eternity. And so I feel, like my, I feel like that's one of my big questions. And if you're a parent, how many parents in here with, with kids? So if, and if you're not, you've been a kid, so you can relate to this, right? Because if you've ever gone on a, a trip, like we go down to Homer every year, and 10 minutes outside of Chugiak, so right about the time I hit Eagle River, I hear from the back those words, those four words, are we there yet? And it just continues until you literally pull up into the campground down in Homer. So we want to know what we should be shooting for. Is that what we should be shooting for? Like, I want to do things that are meaningful and worthwhile and valuable in my own life and in, 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 in relation to people around me. But I also want to know, how long do I have to do this? Because sometimes I can go, you know, going hunting and embracing the the miserableness of the weather and and, the physical effort that it takes to to be successful. I can do that as long as I know there's an end to it. I kind of want to know, like, what's the outside parameter? How long do I have to strive before I get to take a breath or breather? And so those two things for me are important. And I think if we're, if we're honest, they're important to us all as we start to examine our life and what we, what we should be about, what we should be focused on in life. And the good news is, is that Jesus' close friends had the same questions. And they asked him, they took him aside, and they asked him those two questions. And he gives this, I love it, Jesus doesn't shy away from answering. He literally leans in and gives this like two-chapter answer to their question. And it's two days before Jesus is arrested and crucified. So this is like important teachings that Jesus is giving his closest friends before he leaves planet Earth. And 
we should pay attention to what he says. And I love it that he, he doesn't ignore their questions. And so we're going to actually, our text today is going to come from Matthew chapter 25. And if you have your Bible, I'm going to encourage you to open Matthew chapter 25. And we're going to start in verse 14. But we can't really start there because we're really entering in to the middle of Jesus' conversation that he's having with his disciples, his closest friends. And so we need to back up to the original question, which is in Matthew chapter 24, verse 3. So I'm going to ask you to start there with me. If you have your Bible, you can open it. If you don't, uh, it'll be on the screen behind me in just a moment. But if you have the ACF app, if you haven't downloaded it, you can download that. And the, the scripture, you can go on there. You can also, version Bible or whatever you prefer. I love it. We live in a time where you, you have no excuse not to have a, a access to a Bible. So it's going to be everywhere around you right now. And I love it. So Matthew chapter 24, verse 3, it says, As he sat on the Mount of Olives, that's Jesus, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming, end of the end of the age? What's going to be happening after you leave and go back to heaven? What's what's going to be the sign? What's going to happen? Like, tell tell us the direction. And implied in that is, how do we play a role in that? What should we be doing around those events, and then when are they going to happen? And so he starts to unpack that, and, and we're going to pick it up kind of in the middle of that at Matthew 25, verse 14. And if you've grown up in the church, you may have heard this uh, section of Scripture called the parable of the talents. And I think it's the worst name ever. I hate this name for any section of Scripture, for any story in Scripture, and for two reasons. The name is just confusing. And it, it's a little deceptive. So parable, and it's a word you only hear in church. You're not going to be hanging out with your buddies, like out hunting, hunting and going, hey, dude, uh, let me tell you a parable. Ooh, can't wait to hear that. Like, what? Like, no, you're just not going to use that terminology. And so a parable, we've said it here before, it's just a story with a point. There's a message inside a story that he's telling, and the story is meant to help you think through it a little bit and to remember it and then to Get, that, get the point. And so Jesus is, is going to make a point here. But then the word talent. So the story with a point about talents. Well, if I hear the word talent, as, as, like even as I say it now, all I can think about are, is America's got talent and you got people with skill and abilities and they're competing to show you who's better and maybe who's the best uh, at any given moment in our culture. And so we think of, of skill, ability, like those kind of things. But at the time this was written, that's not what the word talent meant in the language it was written. It was a, a measure, a large measure of money. Uh, it was like a weight measure or a defined amount of money. And so it was like a weight measure of precious metals, for instance, like copper, silver, or gold. And the volume of it, if to think of scale, it was generally when a country was going to pay another country, hey, we need your, your horses to protect us, or we want to trade other precious ore or metal with you. And so we're going to send over five talents of gold. Um, and so it was that kind of an idea. And so it was money is what they're talking about. So I think a better name for this section of Scripture would be Jesus tells a story about money. I think it would just be, a, I like things that say what they are. I don't like to have to guess at things. And so that's, that's just me. Maybe you're like me. Um, but let's go ahead and start reading. It's Matthew twenty-five fourteen is where we're going to start. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents at once uh, 
went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had two talents made two talents more. But the one who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I've made five talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had two talents came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I have made two talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seeds. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I had not sown and gathered where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has will be more given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's such an encouraging word we get from Scripture this morning. <laughs> we'll just call it out. Like, that is a horrible way to end that story. But um, there's a point there. So, so basically, Jesus is telling a story of a guy who's got a lot of money. He's probably a businessman. And he's getting ready to go away for a while. It says a long time. And so he ha- takes some of his best workers. And according to their skill, as he's watched them over the years, he gives them different amounts of money. And to one, he gives five talents, and another, he gives two, and another one. And so they go off, two of them, right away, and they invest that money. They put it to work. They didn't say what they did, but somehow they put it to work, and they doubled the money. And then the one servant was kind of upset at the master and says, I'm just going to hide it and then give him back what's his. Like, that, that'll be good enough. And so that's our story as we start, right? And so the first question that I ask is we talked about talent being a measure of money. Well, how much money are we talking about here? Because my mind can't get to the story until I figure out some of those details like that that are really not the point of the story, but I still have to go there. Um, So most scholars agree at this time, it really depends, but at this time, the story is being told and the way Jesus told it, they they estimate that it's 20 years worth of, of wages for an average worker. And so let's be conservative. The average worker may be earning $50,000 a year for 20 years. If I do my math right, I hope, is $1 million per talent. So you got one guy who's getting $5 million, another guy getting $2 million, another guy getting a million. So, and I think Jesus is purposely using large sums of money so that it would catch the, the hearer's attention of his disciples then and even us. I'm, I start dreaming like, man, I would like $5 million. I'd like a million dollars, but... Five would be better. Yeah, I, would, I think that would be pretty sweet. So, um, so what's the point that Jesus is making here? What's he really saying? And I think some observations about this parable will help us understand what Jesus is saying and help answer our questions. What should I be doing? And are we there yet? How long should I be doing it? And the first observation is this. This parable or story that Jesus tells about money is Jesus is talking about more than just money. 
I think he's talking about skills, abilities, personalities, jobs, money. All of that's in play here as Jesus is telling this story. And so I think it's important for us to understand that. But if that's the case, that we should be busy, and that's kind of the point of the, the, the parable, we should be busy about something, right? We should be focused and driven towards a goal, but in the parable, he doesn't tell us what that goal is. I don't think his goal is to, for us just to be, make money. His goal is something different as he tells this story. To find out the answer to that, we need to turn over to Matthew chapter 28, and we're going to start in verse, uh, I believe, 16. Matthew 28, verse 16, to find that answer. Now, this is after Jesus has been arrested, crucified on a cross, buried, and resurrected again, and he's been talking to some people. He's been teaching since then, and this is literally the last words he says before he disappears up into heaven, before his disciples. And so we see it in Matthew 28, verse 16. It says, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, and there's only 11. There were 12 disciples the last time Jesus is teaching back in Matthew 25. Now there's 11 because Judas, who had betrayed him, when he saw the events that happened, was overcome with grief and committed suicide in the meantime. So now there's 11 disciples. And so here we find them. They went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So not only we just to be busy, we shouldn't just be goal-driven and doing something and, and, and keeping our, our wheels turning in our lives, moving some direction. Jesus gives us focused direction that we should be making disciples, baptizing people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey God. He gives us the focused direction. This is what matters. This is what we should be about as followers of Jesus Christ. But sometimes we look around, and in the story, there was different amounts given to different people. And if you're a two-talent worker, and you look over, and the guy's five talents over here, his ability to, to, to make that grow and successful is increased. You know, the adage, you got to have money to make money. So the one-talent guy is probably looking around going, what, what about me? And so we can look around sometimes, and we can get into the mindset of, I will start serving God when something, whatever that is, changes in my life. Maybe a different job, maybe a, a move coming up. Maybe I'm an introvert, God. I don't know, I don't know how to interact with people and do this. That, that's for maybe the extroverts, the people that actually can carry on conversations and enjoy that. I don't. Maybe someone who has different skill, if I really had that, then... I could start serving God. And so that brings up the second point of this parable, which is equality is not the point. Because if you're waiting to be something to change in your life, if we wait until something's different, the reality is that may never change for you. I've been an introvert my entire life, and I'm still an introvert. Even after reading this and knowing that I should go and make disciples, that I should baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and teach them about God, it's effort for me to engage in conversation and to build those. I love it. I love having close, deep friends, and I love talking with people. But it, 
it takes focused effort for me, and it still does. It's always done that. I've never, if I waited until I was an extrovert, then I would be still be waiting. I wouldn't be doing anything in this realm. Have you ever thought about, like, if I just had a little extra money, and maybe these guys were thinking that, if I just had a little bit more money, maybe if a distant relative died and I got some, you know, guy knocking on my door saying, here's a lot of money, then I could really, like, get things, I could buy the right house, I could host a life group, I could, you know, buy, like, a side-by-side, I could go off-roading and invite some friends from work, and then I could have conversations while that, it'd be ministry like crazy, you would not believe what kind of good I could do for the kingdom of God. On a side note, though, have you ever heard that like, people say that you don't want to win the lottery, right? Because it doesn't end well for a lot of the people to get a windfall of money. And I don't feel like me. Every time they, I hear that, and it may be true, I want to be the, the exception. I want to be the guinea pig. So I would love to try to win the lottery. I would love to do that and be the exception to the rule and, and let it do great things. I would love to have more money than I do right now. I'm just going to be honest. So um, if, you, if you have a lot of money, you want to get rid of it, like, I would love to be the guinea pig in your experiment. But we do the same thing with our skills, our personality, our job, our position in life, maybe our, our, our family that we're, that we're around, the friends that you have. I had different friends, man. I could be so much more effective for God. Your friends are like, wait, what am I? <laughs> and we say something like this, God, I would serve you. If I had more education, a different job, more refined skills, an outgoing personality, more friends, more respect, or more money. And the danger here is if, if we wait for something to develop in our lives, if we're waiting for that next thing or the transition or uh, something to move in our lives before we, we engage God, the reality is, We all have what we have where we are right now, and we are all given the same direction by Jesus to go and make disciples, to baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and to teach people to obey God. He didn't say, here's your marching orders, here's your goal, and you can start 25 years from now when you kind of get everything, you know, pulled together in your life. He says, right where you are now, this is what I'm asking you to do with what you have, with where you are. So God has given us enough. And what I love is he doesn't tell the five-talent worker or the two-talent worker or the one-talent worker what to do to run this company. He gives them freedom to invest where they feel best, where they need to invest to to accomplish what they do, to use their unique take on the world to to accomplish this goal. And so I I think if we look at this parable, we see Jesus is the owner. He's gone away. He went back up into heaven in Matthew 28. So he's telling this parable at the time into the future to give them some direction as an answer to their question. But he's away right now. And so Jesus is the owner and his disciples who he was speaking to and then us because of adoption into that family. He's speaking to us as the workers and he's giving us freedom in how we accomplish the end goal how we accomplish making disciples and baptizing and teaching people about God. Because each one of us is different, and God has placed us in unique places with unique talents, unique giftings, unique personalities. You won't need to look around to see what other people are doing to be able to engage in this. We need to look into ourselves and figure out what God is driving us to. 
what God has asked us to do. You take the uh, third worker, if we look at that one talent worker for a second, he's basically accusing the owner of using his workers to make him rich. You reap where you don't sow. And ultimately, what that comes from is a disconnect from the worker to 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 the owner. The servant hasn't connected to his master. The other two did. They got right on it. They understood the vision. They see the heart. They, they are all in on that mission, but the third one is disconnected. And so it's super important that we connect to our heavenly father, the, our heavenly father of grace, our heavenly father of mercy, our heavenly father of truth, of justice. We need to know who we're following or else we're not going to have the motivation to follow. So the first step is to lean in and get to know our heavenly father. If we haven't experienced that, we can't give it. You've heard You've heard, you can't give what you haven't received. If it's not in you, then you can't give it out. And so God is about character. He's about new life, being born again, change. And as we go through life, he works in us to develop Christ-like, Jesus-like character traits in us. And he's committed to it. And I love that he's committed to it. A lot of times, though, and like the one talent worker. Maybe they looked around and he's like, well, what I'm doing is not really that valuable. I mean, you, get, you gave away seven talents. You got 14 back. Is that right? Yep. And actually 15. So one doesn't really make that much of a difference. So the job you're asking me to do is maybe beneath me. Maybe I think I should have gotten more responsibility and you're asking me to do menial tasks. You're asking me to do things that are far below my skill level. And if we're honest, we all feel that sometimes. And it can come from arrogance, and it can come from reality. There are times when you are the most skilled person in a room, and somebody else gets the tasking, and you get to go do the thing that is way beneath your ability. You could solve this problem in two seconds, but you're not being asked or tasked to. And there's sometimes where it's just arrogance. Like you walk into a room, and you think, oh, I should be leading this place. And you're asked to do something way, way beneath you. When I was a youth pastor way back in the day, um, I was at a church, and there was me and another youth pastor, and the lead pastor had a family that he knew in Germany, and they had a son who was, he wasn't doing anything, you know, he wasn't a delinquent or anything, like he wasn't like actively like burning his life out, but he was headed that way. And so they sent him over to be an intern in our youth ministry uh, for over a year. Like he knew he had uh, a long time to be with us. And so he arrives, and uh, we, we get to know him a little bit the first week, right? And so he keeps, at, we ask him, like, what do you want to do? Like, what, what is your passion? Like, what do you feel like you could be doing? He's like, I want to teach and I want to lead. I have, I'm gifted. And we're, we have no idea, so we get to know him a little bit and we realize there's, there's arrogance in that statement for him. And so we had him paint. We painted a lot of the church that year. Um, so we had him paint, take out the garbage, clean the toilets, uh, do little repair work, run errands, it, the menialist, I don't even know if that's a word, <laughs> the bottom task you could possibly assign somebody, we gave it to him. And for the first two weeks, he loved it. He was just excited, and he kept asking, hey, when do I get to teach? When are you going to put me in charge of like a small group or an event or something? And we're like, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it, but you're, today you're going to paint, you're going to take out garbage, you're going to clean, you're going to do some fix-its. Um, and the whole time, every day, he was required to be in God's Word. And I would, side note, I was super impressed 
because his first language was German, he kind of sort of spoke a little English, uh, which also had implications of teaching um, to English-speaking kids. But um, So he would have to take his German Bible, translate into English, use the commentaries to do study for that day, and then translate them back into German for his notes. So the dude was doing more study in Scripture than I was doing at the time, um, which blew me away. But his attitude was in the toilet. He was just horrible. Um, and so he got really upset. And we had worked with the lead pastor on this. So it wasn't just us being mean to this kid and being cruel and, and, and punishing him. Uh, it was really a character, trying to get to some character issues in his life. He got so mad after like four or five weeks that he stormed into the lead pastor's office and said, I'm done. These guys are like doing this. I can't do this. They're treating me like, you know, a hired hand. And this is, this is not fair. Um, do something. And he was in on it. So he's like, well, I trust them. I know that they're going to do a really good job. You got to do what they say. So he storms out and he is so angry. Like he is, his face is red. He turns around, leaving the senior pastor's office and punches a hole in the wall, which we made him fix the next day. So he got some drywall skills. Um, <laughs> and so and what was really cool though, was after several weeks after that, I'd like to say, oh, instant change. No, it just took him more time in God's word, more time to kind of see what was really happening that we weren't doing it in spite of, or despite him. We were doing it because we cared about him. And God was working in his heart. And he is, he's a, today, he's a leader. He became a really cool teacher and a leader in our group. And then he went back to Germany, and he's, he's doing an amazing job um, because God got a hold of him. Uh, but a lot of times, we, we have that same attitude. And, and the, the point of that is this, is that we want to be 10-talent workers with a one-talent attitude. We want to walk into any place in our lives and tell God, this is what I should be doing. God, this is what I dream of. This is how you can best use me the way you set me up. I have skills, God, and our attitude isn't there. And God is about the attitude. He's about the character that drives it. So you may wonder, why am I still here? Well, God's not done with you there yet. So stay there and flourish. The other thing I was thinking about with this parable is, and I I touched on it, but is biblical prophecy is meant to have an impact on the present. A lot of times we get caught up with what's going to happen, and his di- disciples were the same thing. So they ask a question about how it's going to happen, when it's going to happen, and he gives some guidelines there. But in this parable, what he's telling them is it's, it's not so much about what's going to happen or how it's going to happen, but what you should be doing in the meantime. And the reality is we're living in that, we've been, we're living in that in-between time when the landowner went away and trusted his resources to his followers and he's going to come back someday. And it says a long time in the, in the, the passage we read that he was away. He's been gone 2,000 years. From Matthew 28 where he went up into heaven, he's been gone 2,000 years. And we don't know if he's going to come back next week, next year, 10 years from now, or 10,000 years from now. But what are we doing in the meantime? And, and this passage about the future is meant to affect our behavior today. That's the point. So what, it look, what would it look like if we, right where we are now, with what we have been given now, we focused on making disciples, baptizing people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching people to obey God? What would happen? The reality is God has entrusted us with his work, and we have the freedom to ignore it or engage in it. We can be the five or the 
the two-talent worker or we can be the one-talent worker. We can bury the mission God has given us and we can just continue on because everything's okay. My life's okay. I kind of like where it's at. Sounds like a lot of work to invest everything I've got to accomplish this goal that Jesus has given me. Or we can be people that engage in that goal. So what would, what would be the results of that? What would happen if we did that as a community of believers? And the reality is we would start to experience the joy of the living God. Because it sounds like work, like hunting is a lot of work. Pursuing God's mission, is it can be work. But it, it brings true joy in life. It's, it's something that really matters. And people around us would start to experience the joy of the God who created them. So we have action steps each and every week. And on your seat, there is a card. And on the bottom of that card, uh, it, you'll see action steps. And there's nothing magical about these. Um, we ask you to fill them out each week. And this is why, because if you're like me, I make a commitment here on Sunday, like, oh, I'm all in, like, I'm fired up. And then the next day, I'm like, what was that sermon on? Or I just don't even think about it. I just get back into the work week and it's gone. And so what we want to do is if you make a commitment and say, I think this is my next step, is sometime this week we're going to send you a message and just remind you, you made a commitment. And it's not a guilt trip if you haven't thought about it. The whole point is you're probably normal and you're going to get caught up in other things. So this is just a midweek reminder hey, this is a step that maybe you want to consider this week. We want to see growth in each other, and so we want to help each other. So that's what it's about. We're not going to spam you. We're not going to hound you. We're not sending guys over with baseball bats to to encourage you in that way, but um, we are just going to remind you. It's a simple reminder of what you've committed. So the first one is say yes to Jesus. If you've not connected to the Master, if you've not connected to God through Jesus Christ, then you're not ready to take on this mission. So that's the first step is to connect. We have a loving God who wants to be in relationship with you. He wants to uh, give you a new life and a life that has value for yourself and for those around you. So maybe that's your, first, maybe that's your step. Maybe that's your action. The second one is take inventory of what you've been given. And I am so good at this. And maybe you are too. I can take inventory of all the stuff I don't have. You know, I look around and I'm like, man, those hunters with side-by-sides, that's where it's at. If I had one of those, I could bring a buddy and I could do ministry. So I wish I had that. Or if I had more money, I'd have a bigger house. Again, I could have a group into my house. It would just be amazing. There's always going to be some. Have more time. If I had a different personality, I could be used by. I'm really good at focusing on the things I don't have. I want to encourage you to take inventory of what God has given you. And not just money. It includes money. But it's. It's everything, who you are. It takes some self-reflection, like getting inside yourself and who am I? How has God made me? And how can I accomplish God's mission with the things that I have been given? The third step, commit to use something that you've been given for God's work. And again, back to the, I'm really good at justifying purchases in my household because it's ministry. It'd be great for ministry. If I buy another, if I tell my wife, I'm gonna buy another rifle uh, because I can take a buddy hunting and then I don't ever do it. Like, that's a problem, right? And I, I'm, I'm really good at that. This would be so good for ministry, and then I just go back to my normal life. And we can do that sometimes. So something, take inventory, and from that inventory, what's something that you could use for God that you could actually put, put rubber to the road? Instead of just thinking about it, just do it. Engage in it. The last one is be generous this week. I don't know what that looks like for you. 
Maybe it's, you know, it's, we're getting close, the leaves are falling. Maybe you've got a neighbor who can't get out and rake the leaves or mow their lawn right now, and you could go over and spend a couple hours taking care of them. Be generous. That's just, that's time, a little bit of effort, right? Maybe you drive into Anchorage and on your way in, you see somebody who's like hungry and then you pull into McDonald's because you want your breakfast sandwich. Maybe you buy an extra breakfast sandwich for them. And I'm not endorsing McDonald's by any means. They're not sponsoring this sermon. But pro tip, if you do that, if you buy someone an extra sandwich, download the McDonald's app because they have these deals of the day and you can get buy one, get one free. And it may not even cost you anything. So just saying, be smart, be wise, um, be generous. Maybe that's it. So fill that out. And if you want to drop it in as you leave today, uh, we will, again, send you a reminder this week to help help keep you focused on, on taking steps towards Jesus. Would you go ahead and stand as we end uh, this portion of our, our service in prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you so much for this day. Lord, I thank you that you are uh, a God who sets the, the pace, Lord, that your disciples come to you. And they ask so many questions. And I love it that you don't dodge the questions, Lord, but you, you, you answer them. And, and in that answer, we start to see, wow, you're really talking to us. And you're asking us to take steps. And Lord, I pray that, uh, Lord, uh, we would not just be busy people, uh, that we would not be okay with the status quo. Uh, there's times to refresh and rest, but Lord, we need to uh, take seriously your last words on the earth, which were make disciples, baptize, teach people to follow you. Lord, I, I pray that we would be people who are focused, that we would be people who are willing to sacrifice our time, um, who we are, maybe make our, put ourselves in uncomfortable situations so that we can show the love of Jesus Christ to a world that desperately needs hope. Lord, I pray that you would let us be, as a body of believers, a light that shines brightly, that our behavior would draw people to you and that they would connect, that we would connect in new ways and that in the effort, in the work, we would find your joy, your rest. We love you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you, guys. Thanks for watching this message from ACF Church. Uh, we hope it's encouraged you and challenged you to be more like Jesus and to walk with Him in a closer and more profound way. If you'd like to give to the mission of ACF Church, you can do so at the link on the screen or at acfak.org. We love you and we'll see you next week.